Bonnie uh, is the Archivist, Engagement and Access Services at the New South Wales State Archives. She is also an award-winning informational professional, uh, sorry, an award-winning information professional with extensive experience in working across the cultural heritage sector. She is passionate about illuminating the past and challenging historical narratives through innovative digital humanities applications, which is great because we want to talk about the digital revolution today. Bonnie is active in the glam sector, galleries, libraries, archives and museums in that community and has previously presented on the idea of generous glam and how that might be the way that we do history. She seeks history beyond the institution. How's that? history beyond the institution and uh, has even put her sewn skills to use to make creative wardrobe pieces that spark conversation about access to and engagement with the historical record. Well, here she is. What a treat. Over to you, Bonnie. All right. Well, look, I'm going to take us all the way back to the beginning um, where Wildy was at high school, smart kid, um, got a UAI in the 90s and decided that doing, you know, joining the UN was apparently what she was going to do, um, being a diplomat for some reason, maybe solving world peace. So really idealistic. And also having that idea that, you know, when you get a, a, a high UAI, you kind of have to use it all. You've got no change. And um, I enrolled in this um, international studies course and really quickly became aware of two things. Um, the first was my class and how that was going to play out and how difficult it was to pass as middle class when you're not. Um, so that became really apparent to me. And the other thing became really apparent was that I was supposed to be studying political theory and uh, I kept ending up in the political history section. And I realised, you know what, I don't think any of this is a good fit and I'm going to start fresh. And so I ditched the idea of having to spend all of your UAI and uh, did something that worked for me, which was um, enrolled in an arts degree via correspondence. And uh, it allowed me to work and work really hard. <laughs> 60 hour weeks, 20 hour shifts. I was the person that you could call on anytime. Um, and I just, you know, did this course that I loved, um, majoring in English and history, um, got invited to do honours for both, um, decided why not do literature? Again, sort of following that passion. And um, after sort of doing honours in literature, I, I kind of went, well, what am I? You know, um, you do an engineering course and you're an engineer. You do an architectural course and you're an architect. And I did an arts degree and was still working as a waitress. So I, I, you know, there was always this imperative that I was going to need to find a way of making money. Um, but also, you know, trying to maintain, uh, trying to, to have work that was fulfilling. Um, and I overwhelmingly felt that that was in the sort of history world for me. So it was looking at a way that I could kind of combine those two things. And so someone suggested that I should look at um, libraries, you know. It was history adjacent. Um, and, you know, my personality might fit. So I embarked on some more um, study. So I was doing a Diploma of Information Studies at the same time completing a Master of History because I just, again, 
you know, was being urged into this PhD world, but not really sure whether that was going to be literature or history or where I wanted. So why not just knock out a, a master in history while you decide? Um, and so I completed that um, diploma of library and information studies and got a job as a library assistant and was then um, invited to come back and actually start teaching the library and information course. Um, and it was sort of at this point that I had some really incredible mentors, both in the um, library and information world and also at the, the library that I was working for. So I was doing dual, dual jobs at the time, um, who really, you know, pushed me into the deep end, but kind of saw that I had floaties, I guess. Like they, you know, those incredible people that you sort of need um, in your life to say, you know what, you can actually do this. Um, so I'm just eternally grateful to those um, two mentors there. So one of them um, pushed me into lecturing as well. So I ended up um, lecturing at a, at a um, private university while I was teaching library science at TAFE. And I did that for a few years until I sort of got to this point where I was like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm putting these books on the shelf and actually I think I want to be writing them. Um, so how do I make that happen? Um, so I started to look at, um, you know, jobs um, that would, but as take me closer you know, to break it to you now in, in glam, um, to there's a lot of contract work, there's a lot of casual work, the there's a lot of sessional work, and um, and um, I moved I into found roles. You know, I was like, I have so much more to give. Well, I have so much more to give. Heritage Centre, um, but you know that when your identity is twinned to your job description and your contract ends after three months or six months or, you know, it can be really hard. You know, who are you if you're not working? Um, so that really became a turning point for me where I went, well, you know what, I do have value beyond my job description. I, I am more than my job role. And so I took um, some research that I'd done for the Parramatta Heritage Centre on um, the Chinese community. And so, you know, done some research for them. And then in my own time, I'd sort of looked at it and said, okay, well, what if I apply um, a network, you know, what if I take this research, put it into a network diagram and see what that shows me about the relationships of the people in that community? And I was like, this is, this is neat. This is great. Maybe some other people are interested. So I'm doing this in my own time. I applied to the Dragon Tales conference with this proposal and it was accepted. And that became the first history conference that I presented at. And that I found to be empowering. You know, I wasn't, you know, historian or archivist or whatever it was, wasn't my job description at the time, but I had value and uh, could make a contribution within that sphere. But I would also acknowledge just the sort of levelling power that Twitter presents, presents as well. I know it's a bin fire, but if you get beyond that and make some really valuable co connections, you're, you're able to engage with people in a really level way that, you know, institutional connections might prevent. You know, I'm not professor so-and-so. I'm not affiliated with X institution. I'm just someone who has these thoughts or feelings about this particular topic that other people might engage with. And so it was really interesting when Tim Sherritt was doing his stuff with Reduction Art, um, which is where he had pulled all these amazing animals and critters um, and these, you know, ridiculous drawings out of ASIO files that had been redacted. 
And he put this stuff out there for free and he invited people to do stuff with it. So people were doing 3D printing, they were doing um, cakes, tattoos, all of this kind of stuff. And I just went, you know what? I can't 3D print, but I can sew. And here is a dress made of the redaction art. And um, that was really fabulous. And, you know, we were able to share that and I was able to engage with that community through that, you know, that's a, an action true to me. It's something that I do. It combines all of these wonderful interests and it's this really um, lovely interaction with someone else's research. Um, from there, I was then invited to go and speak about that at the Open Glam mini conference at the Linux Australia um, conference, you know, so big open source, open access um, conference. And that was just, you know, it was sort of surreal to be there speaking about making a dress, even to the point where, you know, like BuzzFeed picked us up on that day. Um, so it was, as I said, it was realising that you're more than your job description and that you have um, contributions to make um, that can really push you into the into the sphere. So at the same time, um, again, just, you know, moving through various contracts, um, working as an assistant archivist until I landed on a another contract role with the State Archives um, the New South Wales State Archives. Um, and from there, I've just been so fortunate and I just have to continually pinch myself because everything feels like a dream. I've had um, an incredible opportunity to work as a curator with the State Archives, so um, working on a couple of incredible exhibitions, so the Marriage, Love and Law exhibition, also the Queen's Album, um, and also the start of the um, A Thousand Words exhibition that's just launched. Um, but I've moved into just this role that feels like an absolute perfect fit. It combines, you know, all of those wonderful customer service skills that I developed through years and years of waitressing, my history work, my library work. Um, I'm now working with the public in a public access role. So it's all about um, advice and guidance and helping people to get into the record. So it's not, um, you know, we're not, I'm not researching on behalf of anyone, but um, it draws on all of those, um, you know, those formal skills attained through formal study um, and also everything else that I've picked up. And, uh, you know, I will never know everything about this collection and I think that's an absolute delight. So in terms of my sort of advice to anyone out there, if you're in high school, um, do an arts degree. <laughs> uh, critical thinking is the absolute um, most important skill that you can have and it will serve you throughout, you know, whatever career you have. And then know that your worth extends beyond your role description. So it can be hard out there. It's hard. Work is not, you know, you don't just walk into a permanent role. It just doesn't happen. Um, there's going to be setbacks. You're going to, I mean, I've had heaps of tears over rejection letters. I'm like, I'm so great. Just hire me. Uh, I will be amazing. Um, but no, rejection, rejection, more tears, more tears. Um, and I think too, if you are sort of high achieving, it can be so much harder, you know, like I've got loads of awards and, you know, top graduating student and all of that rubbish. And it doesn't mean, or it doesn't feel like it means anything. And that can be a really hard thing. Again, when you're, you know, you're thinking about identity and who you are and what you are within this sphere. So realising your own worth, that it extends beyond what you get paid or your pay grade or anything like that, and that there is space for you to contribute more widely 
um, and to just seize that and just go for it um, is probably, you know, the, the advice that I would offer. That was just fantastic, Bonnie. Thank you so much. You go, girlfriend. That's great. So um, I was really moved while I was listening to you about the way that your journey has also been one of negotiating very rich questions of identity, that you, you know, you brought up the question of class versus um, achievement and the wrestlings and and how there, there seem to be some very important moments along your career trajectory where you had to dig deeper than, you know, an identity shaped in what you do, you mm-hmm. know, you had to find something deeper. And that, that moment, therefore, that when you decided to make the dress out of the redacted items, it, it became a... A sort of celebration of of you having gone deep into a radical authenticity of yourself, which I think is such a powerful message to give to people that our job isn't necessarily just to fit into other things, but to find ourselves and then find ways of sharing that. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think glam is, or the library world in particular, is incredibly hierarchical. And I think the more that we sort of see um, critical thinking coming into library theory, we can start to break down and say, well, why do we have these rigid hierarchies within the way we structure our institution? Um, You know, who are they keeping out? Which voices are we missing from here and why? Um, And I think, too, in the glam sector, one of the things I think particularly concerning now is that information is currency, right? And the more information you have, the uh, more valued you are or more valuable you seem. And I think when everyone's competing for the next contract or the next whatever it is, you're less inclined to share that currency, right? So instead of working collaboratively, why, why would you share if you're going to be competing with that person in the next job round? Um, so we need to look deeply at how those kind of, you know, how those structures that, which are in place are actually impeding knowledge sharing, working collaboratively. Um, obviously, you know, to an extent, people need to be self-interested. Um, and I think Glam needs to sort of unpack some of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I've just, you know, a, a, again, when you talk about that authenticity, I, I really reached that point where I talk, you know, I've been in interviews and I've talked about what we have done mm-hmm. and been asked to say, well, but what about your role? And I'm like, well, I worked I worked in a team and we did this to pull it off. And I don't want to actually shy away from that. I don't mm-hmm. want to position myself as the individual in those achievements. I'm more than happy to say it was group and you know what if if you need the me and not the us then maybe this isn't a fit anyway Mm. I mean I'm just continually struck though that every time you tap a vein of what you're passionate about it goes from a trickle to a stream for you and and the the skirt was one of those moments but so Mm. was the lecturing where you found that there was a real joy for it and so was the moment of finding a mentor with whom you had real resonance as well we've got some questions here about contract work you know people are asking those questions people are saying do you think it's better to hold out for long-term stuff or to take contract work I mean, everyone's individual situation is going to be different. 
um, and it's going to be based on on what you can do. I have always needed to work, and mm. so I have taken what has been available. Um, I think, you know, looking at contracts and and thinking about um, what's so. I mean, it, you know, if you're not needing it specifically to pay the bills, or if you've got a a bit of wiggle room, you know, maybe look at a contract and say, well, this will be this six months will be great for building skills X, Y, and Z, or this contract will expose me to this particular institution and the way they work. And um, sort of weigh up what you think in terms of the benefits might be to you, um, but not everyone has that luxury, and it is a, is a luxury for a lot of us, and definitely for myself. It was, you know, this three month, you know, my current contract ends in two weeks. This three month contract starts at the same time. I'm just going to have to go for it because otherwise, I don't know how I'm paying the rent. Um, so I think not everyone in glam or in history is middle class and if we don't create spaces where people who aren't of middle class you know if there's not spaces for them then we really um, risk losing that perspective and those voices and Mm -hmm. I think that's hugely problematic Um, but yeah so in terms of contract each individual situation it would be up to you if you thought holding out would work for you. I was also struck while you were talking, Bonnie, about a kind of distinction that was starting to coalesce around the difference between a career and a vocation. A lot of what you um, have been drawn to is vocational. You know, there's kind of a calling in there about your passions, and yet there are career decisions and negotiations that you um, have had to think through. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an, an interesting one, and I'm sure I could sit and unpack some of that. Um, I think. To some extent, I have been particularly lately um, lucky in the sense that those urgencies or necessities to work have aligned with opportunities that are incredibly um, fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have had those, you know, those moments of reflection where you're sort of sitting down and you're going, well, you know what, if I wanted that um, big house and that fancy car and all of that kind of stuff I would have been a banker you know like I, I would have chosen that path and I haven't um, and so that can really help you when you are you know looking at a, a short-term contract or you're just working on a project you can say well you know what I've chosen this and I'm loving every minute of it and I could have worked in something else and I chose not to um, and that can really help with uh, mm-hmm. reconciling some of those those difficult things that you might have. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm struck by from listening from both of you is the important role that mentors have also played in your life. Um, yeah, it's it's you you spoke very warmly about your mentors. Is there anything that you think that would be useful to share about how you develop that mentoring that relationship? I kind of so I am I, I and I have I attended one of these. Um, history council careers in history and I was too terrified to talk to anyone and um, spent a lot of time in the bathroom and then went to my car and then convinced myself to come back up so I'm I'm naturally um, I think an introvert um, so please come and talk to me if you ever see me because I'll be standing in the corner thinking that no one wants to talk to me and so I think for the mentors that the mentors definitely took me under their wing it was not me um, reaching out and saying, you know, help me with this. I 
my um, and I don't know, you know, whether it's a background thing or a personality thing, but I will. I need someone else to actually come and say, you know what, you're you are capable of this, and you we are going to just push you into this, and you're going to be fine. Um, I will never sort of think of myself as being that. But maybe, Bonnie, you will be the champion that therefore does that for other people, huh? Look, and this is exactly it. So, you know, the years that I spent teaching at TAFE, um, you know, I've, I, I still get contacted by those students. Um, the same with the lecturing. I'm still contacted by those students. I'm very much an advocate for others, absolutely. And I will um, push people, you know, um, into something, you know, I might see an opportunity and be like, this is great for you. And in you go. So I am very much an advocate for others. And um, again, it comes down to that authentic self, I think, is that I'm always going to be putting people yeah. forward. Yeah. And then one day we'll have a fashion label, the Wildy <laughs> fashion label, that will have archival dresses and I'll be, I'll be selling those. I'll be wearing them. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, my last question for you is again to contemplate the, um, the theme for History Council's forthcoming History Week in September. Mm-hmm. History, what is it good for? <laughs> Absolutely everything. What have you got, Bonnie? Yeah, I mean... Every day I'm dealing with the records of the state, right, and it's incredibly powerful to look at a record and see Macquarie's instructions to hang bodies, right? It's it, it There it is. There's his words in his writing and we can see that. And I think um, <sighs> history is so important to us understanding ourselves and to understanding the world that we currently live in. Um, in terms of working in archives, it's it's there and we can find it and um, we can bring it to light and we can have those discussions and, you know, so it's it, it's incredibly, incredibly important just for, for who we are, um, I think, as individuals and also more broadly and culturally. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you to our two speakers, to Alinda and to Bonnie. Um, And I I hope that everybody has enjoyed it as much as I have. You've both been very inspiring. And if this is what life looks like when you're at that early career stage, I hope it inspires all of you out there to, you know, to roll up your sleeves and to try some of the techniques that they've suggested um, tonight. I think they've offered some really useful ideas about Um, making connections, about using your research and writing skills, about being curious and creative and tapping into your own um, authenticity in the way that you go about making contributions that give you pleasure um, and that also teach you things. So thank you to both of you for fantastic presentations and, of course, as ever, to our History Council team, to um, Catherine Shirley and to Cassandra Rogers and to you, the audience, and your terrific questions. Um, We are the History Council and this was um, the mini-series Careers in History and I'd like to thank you all and to thank our wonderful presenters today. I hope you feel inspired to be thinking about a career in history and also a vocation in history. Thank you very much, everyone.